Hello and welcome to another episode of the China Path podcast. James Scullin here from the Australia China Business Council. Whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on, please don't forget you can find us and subscribe to future episodes on the iTunes App Store, where you can also leave a review that helps us to spread the podcast more widely. For other ways to listen and episode show notes, please visit acbc.com.au/podcasts. In 2018, Chinese tourists to Australia overtook New Zealand as Australia's largest inbound tourist market. On this episode, we take a look at the massive influx of Chinese tourists who are making Australia their preferred holiday destination, and evaluate how Australian firms are tailoring their tourism offerings to meet the demands of its largest and fastest-growing market. I speak with the director of AsiaLink Business, Nick Henderson, whose China Host program has been working closely with tourist providers to better understand and harness the opportunities of the China market. We look at how and why a Chinese holidaymaker decides to travel to Australia, and the process of planning for their holiday. We also discuss the particular needs of Chinese tourists, their spending power, and the digital platforms such as Sea Trip, Union Pay, and WeChat, helping Australian firms connect with Chinese tourists. Nick Henderson has more than 17 years' experience in business development and operations in China. He began his career with IKEA and was instrumental in establishing the country's first stores in Shanghai and Beijing. Nick was general manager of the market entry and business development boutique advisory firm Intralink. He's assisted more than 100 companies with their business growth in complex Chinese markets, focusing on sectors including industrial, food and consumer, telecommunications, life sciences. Environmental technologies and software. I hope you enjoy our discussion. I'm here today in Melbourne with Nick Henderson, the director of AsiaLink Business. Nick, it's great to finally get you on the podcast. It's great to be here and and on this、uh, podcast with you, James. Nick, at AsiaLink Business, you've recently been busy travelling around Australia and regional Victoria in particular with the China Host Program.、Um, would you mind telling us what the initiative is exactly? So it's it's about、um, empowering local and regional businesses with the the skills, the knowledge, and the insights to be able to really effectively provide a、uh, high quality visitor experience for Chinese travellers. Uh, it's 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 really about、um, creating what we call、um, a hosting experience.、Mm. You know, I guess it's it's creating a, a capacity and a capability within the tourism sector to create world class visitor experiences. Tourism as a sector is such an important part of our economy, and if we're looking at our services exports and that bilateral trade relationship with China, it's a very very big part of that that、um, export of services.、Mm. Uh, and I think、uh, if we're looking at、um, the, the amount of choice that the Chinese traveller has in terms of destinations, they have a real a world of choice, and、sure. it's up to us as a tourism sector to、um, continually be upping our game and making sure that、um, we're providing the best possible、uh, experiences to Chinese travellers. So、mm. uh, the the program is a collaboration with the Australian Tourism Export Council, which is Australia's peak body for. Um, tourism exports, and、uh, it's it's really all about building capacity、uh, across a number of different areas. So we've broken it up into into four modules, if you will. The first is really understanding the opportunity,、um, understanding the nature of the Chinese traveller,、okay. um, understanding what are 
uh, Chinese travellers' expectations when it comes to customer service, uh, and then how to segment uh, those that, that travel group that's coming in. Mm. Uh, and then the second part of it is to to customise service and offerings. So looking at how to create a value proposition, how to how to provide excellent customer service to Chinese travellers. Uh, how to, um, you know, look at the entire um, visitor journey, but also the touch point journey when a traveller comes into a business, and whether that be an attraction uh, or a hotel. Right. How throughout that entire touch point, that those series of touch points, can you enhance the offering to make it a quality experience for Chinese travellers? Mm. Then the third part is looking at digital marketing and payments. What's the landscape? Yep. Um, what are the channels? How to create a marketing plan? And then looking at the overall digital payments ecosystem. And then the final one is you've got all the you've you've built up a good quality service and understanding of the traveller. Uh, you've worked out a marketing plan of how to make um, Chinese travellers aware of you mm. uh, and then how do you build demand. So the last module is all about selling to the travel trade in China. Mm. So you can actually you know, start to proactively get travellers coming in, uh, in into, uh, into your business. Mm. So it's, um, we started off doing the first one uh, down uh, with Warrnambool City Council down at uh, the Great Ocean Road with 15 business owners throughout the visitor economy in, in the Great Ocean Road. Mm, which, which is a huge catchment for Chinese tourists. Absolutely. As it is obviously with Absolutely. the 12 Apostles and a lot of tourist attractions down there. Absolutely. And and the thing is, you know, how can we get uh, people seeing more of the region and mm. spending more time and, and spending more money as well and not just going along the Great Ocean Road on a tour bus for, for a day right. uh, and not really engaging with that entire region. We really, I think... Uh, have a, a really strong vision for what we want to do with it. Mm. Um, so, Nick, what are the latest figures for Chinese tourists coming to Australia? Obviously, there's an up, upward trend, but mm. but what are the numbers exactly? So, uh, in terms of inbound visitors, um, the year ending December uh, 2018, there were 1.432 million mm. Chinese visitors uh, coming to Australia, which was a, a 5.5 percent increase year on year okay. uh, and during 2018 we we hit a milestone where i think uh, the, the chinese inbound visitor group um became the largest uh inbound visitor group so exceeded uh the traditionally large new zealand inbound visitor group so right um and, and we're seeing there is strong growth uh and chinese inbound tourists accounted for 15 percent of our total international visitors last year, okay. spending $11.5 billion, uh, which again was a was a 12% year-on-year increase, right. um, averaging spend of nearly $9,000 um, during their trip. Um, and, and this is on the back two of 170 flights a week uh, with nearly 2.3 million uh, inbound seats a year. And so we're seeing increasing capacity as well from an aviation standpoint. Yeah. Um, and just just talking of stats, and you, you know what it's like with China, you, you always there is always huge and massive. You can and get buried in the numbers. You can get buried in the numbers, but there's a couple of other stats which which are interesting. Whilst China is our largest inbound tourism or uh, tourism group, they only account for one percent of the total. Chinese outbound travellers. Right, globally. Globally. Okay. That's one thing, and, and so there's, there's scope to grow that. Uh, another thing, and, and I think if we're looking at um, what are the trends, uh, you know, less than 10% of Chinese citizens have a passport. 
Mm. And so as really? as yeah, so it's actually quite a low number. And as we're seeing, um, you know, middle class incomes rising uh, in two tier two, three, four cities, and um, you know, we're going to start seeing new consumers. Uh, and new travellers uh, that will be coming for, you know, medium to long-haul destinations like Australia. So there is there is the growth um, there um, and, you know, it's an opportunity also for Australia to cater for that yeah. future potential growth as well. So surely there's a lot of factors that uh, go into how a Chinese tourist may decide on Australia as a, as a holiday destination. Um, are there any prominent trends? So is it um, a connection with Chinese students studying in Australia? Mm. Is it the appeal of Australian nature? Is it about safety or lifestyle? Are there any, are there any key features that lead this demand of Chinese holidaymakers wanting to come to Australia? Yeah, uh, I think fundamentally, if we're looking at why do Chinese uh, travel overseas, or there's many, many different drivers. You mm. know, um, you know, many, many travel for um, for shopping experiences. Many travel for food and, and culinary experiences. Uh, what we're finding, um, and the and the sort of the research that's been conducted by the tourism sector, uh, is that um, Chinese tourists really are after. A, a safe place to travel. Uh, they're looking for world-class nature. They're looking for good food and wine. And they're looking for aquatic and coastal environments. Mm, okay. They're the, the key considerations um, for Chinese travellers, you know, when they do select a destination. Uh, and, you know, we're finding that, in particular, a lot of millennial travellers uh, are looking for really unique experiences. Okay. And if we're looking at what we have in terms of the the product offering it is vastly different to what what chinese um citizens have within china okay so it is we are able to offer those offer those nature experiences the good food and wine experiences and the aquatic and coastal experiences that are world class mm. and i think they're they're really um drivers again you know it's it's always uh challenging to generalize with with Chinese uh, travellers, sure. there are, you know, intergenerational differences. Yeah. There are traveller group differences. So, you know, we're looking um, at, at the post-70s generation that are looking uh, to travel to spend quality time with family and friends. And as you mentioned, and it's also well documented in the um, ACBC LEK Consulting uh, report that was launched last year, is that visiting friends and relatives obviously is a huge reason mm. for a lot of... Chinese travellers to come to Australia. Yeah. And I think that also is an important driver. Once they do come, they're getting on social media, they're sharing their extraordinary moments, they're sharing their photos on WeChat moments and that word of mouth too. So not only are they, you know, as, as I said, security, nature, good food and wine, aquatic, they're also getting a lot of referrals from friends and relatives mm. who have travelled to Australia. And that word of mouth is also driving a lot of decision-making um, about where they're going to travel, particularly um, influential for female travellers. Right. Um, so that, that element of word of mouth and engagement with digital um, actually is really, plays a really important role yeah. uh, in, in that um, referral and then also repeat visitation. Mm. Well, the tourists themselves... So it sounds like become ambassadors for their networks Absolutely. back in China. Absolutely. If I'm a Chinese traveller, I've decided to go on a holiday in Australia. Practically, how do I how do I begin my research and, and plan my holiday? Um, how influential is a website like Sea Trip for for a Chinese traveller's first steps into into making the practical plans to go on a holiday to Australia? 
I think, uh, you know, what we're finding and, and we're looking, uh, and you've done many podcasts on this as well about about the digital engagement of Chinese consumers. Mm. Um, obviously, Chinese consumers are very tech savvy. And so there's an entire ecosystem of um, websites and types of uh, places where Chinese travellers go to get inspiration for their travel. So uh, it can be um, through WeChat moments. It can be through Weibo blogs. Mm. It can be um, through uh, looking at the the myriad of travel review sites such as uh, Chongyo and Mafengwo, mm. where um, there is so much user-generated content about different people's uh, uh, experiences when they travel, their diaries uh, and their their ratings of, of different um, experiences. That is part of that process. Mm. And also going to sites like the OTAs, so the online travel agents, which which is Seatrip, Tuna, Tunyo, um Etc., which are marketplace platforms, Seatrip, mm. uh, Fliggy, that not only you know you can actually buy a myriad of products, but there are reviews as well. Mm. So that ecosystem um, of of you know inspiring for travel, there's all these myriad of sites. And so what we find with Chinese travelers and consumers in general is that they really are very sophisticated researchers, and they will go to multiple sites. They will compare. They'll do a lot of research um, before they actually start the planning. So when an Australian tourism provider looks at attracting those tourists, are those Australian tourism providers um, present on those digital platforms in China? It's, it's an interesting question because um, what you'll have is you'll have those organisations that are actively engaging and, and are, are, are listed on, on Trip. Uh, uh, and you know, have an engagement and a proactive engagement with Mafeng War, mm. with with Chongyo, etc. Um, uh, so that's more of a um, a deliberate marketing um, engagement with 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 those platforms. But it's interesting. For the last session of China Host uh, down at Port Campbell, um, with Dragon Trail, uh, a Chinese-based um, outbound tourism marketing agency that were um, involved in the program with us for, for that module, yep. we did a so we did actually like a market scan of the fifteen businesses that are part of the uh, the China Host program of what is actually being said about their businesses uh, across Chongyo, Sea Trip, um, Dianping, etc. Right to really see what natural uh, existing uh, commentary and listing and awareness there is of those businesses. Yeah, great. actually had conducted no proactive marketing. Okay. And there's actually quite a lot of user-generated content about those businesses already because people are going to these places, people are geotagging and they're sending out their their WeChat moments, they're talking about their itineraries and they're posting up their... Their diaries onto Marfan War, etc. Yeah. So there's there is that natural generation of content. Yeah. Um, and the key then is, well, how can you take a little bit more control of that so that it can actually be a really positive marketing marketing tool and, and generating uh, awareness and also hopefully preference to choose those those businesses um, when they come and travel into Australia. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you think it's feasible for um, most tourism providers to have a digital marketing strategy, or or can it be perhaps too expensive and waiting for the tourists to come in market and dealing with them once they're in Australia may be a preferred method of engagement? Yeah, look, I, th- I think um, the challenge is that the 
digital landscape, if we're looking at, so we've got video, we've got e-commerce, we've got uh, social media, we've got the online travel agents, we've got review sites, that entire ecosystem is very different to the Australian ecosystem. So if I'm a, a local uh, tourism operator, mm. uh, I'm very familiar with engaging with, with local social media and the online environment. Uh, it's very hard to directly map what you're potentially doing in the Australian context across to China because okay. a lot of those sites and a lot of those organisations and, and what those sites do and how they interact with that marketing mix are totally different. Yeah. So uh, the, that, that creates a challenge for businesses. Yeah. And also there seems to be a lot of people understand and know and, and have some awareness of WeChat. Mm. And it seems that a lot of businesses also feel, well, that that is the, the medium that we should be using but actually it should come down to, well, what are your marketing objectives? Yeah, it's more diverse than just WeChat. Correct. Right. Uh, and, and it may well be that utilising WeChat is part of that mix. Mm. But So I think there are certain things that businesses can do um, by themselves. And I think, you know, obviously having quality Chinese language collaterals online. If you're, for example, um, a tourism operator or your hotel uh, and, you know, you, you actually want to have a Chinese language uh, signage or information about what activities there are, safety use around the pool, etc. You know, you can do things like create QR codes uh, that then link to microsites on WeChat or directly to your Chinese language a landing page on your website. So yep. there are things digitally uh, using WeChat as not necessarily initially for small businesses as a marketing tool but using it as a customer service tool mm. for communicating with travellers, for sharing information, for having your FAQs and your compendiums and information about your products and services um, and, and you can send them as files on WeChat. Okay. And when So there are a lot of things in that area that you can do by yourself um, and then I think when it comes to starting to generate and develop Chinese language content, then you'll need to start engaging um, people who can speak Chinese or translation agents. And then obviously if you want to start proactively engaging in campaigns and so on and so forth, yep. you, you would then need to engage an agent. And that is also managing a WeChat account because if you're going to set up, if I'm tourism business ABC yep. uh, and I want to set up a, um, a, a an account uh, and a and a and a WeChat uh, website, etc. Yeah. Uh, you know, you pay one hundred and fifty dollars or whatever the listing fee is, and it's done. But the thing is, you then need to proactively, continually yeah. generate the content. It's not a one-off. Um, no, and also, you know, it's an opt-in system, so you also need to create the user base. Yeah. So that requires, you know, um, organisations who are able to assist you with that. But there are certainly things you can do, or businesses can do, uh, without spending a lot of money that that um, can start to engage with that ecosystem. Mm. Um, Austrade have their export market development grant that's that's typically used by goods exporters who are going to China at trade fairs and staying in a hotel for a period of time to, to, to meet Chinese partners. Um, and as you'd know, the, the, the way the EMDG works is that companies get a 50% rebate on, on their marketing engagement with China. Do you find tourism providers are using EMDGs for um, their digital marketing strategy or, or even whether they can? Yeah, so that's a really good point, James. I, I, it, I haven't heard of anyone using that for um, marketing strategies. Right, But okay. I think... You know, it's a good idea and I think uh, anything that can support businesses, you know, with their strategic engagement with a market like China, mm. um, 
I think is, is only a good thing. Yeah. So, Nick, how's the nature of Chinese tourism changing? Are we seeing a trend away from group tours to more individual and independent tours? Uh, yes. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, traditionally uh, for Chinese travellers, the predominant type or category of travellers is um, group. And yep. that was because, you know, Australia was an approved destination but Chinese tourists, if they wanted to get a visa, that was really the proviso. They had to go through that channel. Oh, right. Okay. But what we're seeing now is that there is certainly a shift in that trend. Yeah. Uh, and we're seeing a really strong growth in the free and independent traveller. But it's not just as clear cut as group versus free and independent traveller. We're seeing more free and independent travellers, but there's this category also which is semi-FIT, which is people who are booking by themselves that are coming across under under tourist visas. Mm. But when they're in market, they may work with an inbound tour operator or go, go to a company in Melbourne or Sydney and then book a... Um, a day tour on the Great Ocean right. Road okay. or a yeah. trip around, you know, around Sydney. Okay. Um, so it's a, it's a combination of both products. Yeah. And then you have, you know, so group, semi-FIT, and then FIT, Free and Independent Traveller, which is, you know, completely self-organised. Yeah. And we're actually seeing now uh, a slight shift towards group again, but it's a different style. It's private and customised tours. Okay. So we're seeing the overall, the nature and the structure of who's coming in to travel is changing. Uh, and uh, from talking to operators, uh, and we don't have figures yet from uh, the inbound visitation during Chinese New Year, mm. one thing that has come through anecdotally that when I've been talking to, to um, tourism businesses is they really noticed a, a, a really strong growth in FIT Chinese travellers coming into Australia during the last Chinese New Year. Okay. So they did notice that shift, and I think that is going to be the trend going forward. That they're going to, we're going to have a lot more people who are going to be, hopefully, dispersing as well, and not just going to the big cities and not just going to the usual suspects in terms of destinations yeah. like Cairns, Gold Coast, Sydney, Melbourne. Hopefully, as as we're seeing more free and independent travellers as well, is that they're going to explore more. They're going to be jumping in the in the rental car. And they're going to be hopefully um, spending more time at in regional Australia as well, and um, I guess getting a richer experience from from when they're travelling. So, would you say that tourism providers want to see an increase in individual tours? Is is spending greater with individual tours compared to group tours, for example? It tends to be yes. Okay. Uh, and so, with the free and independent travellers talking in generalisations, they tend to be younger generations as well. Okay. Um, the you know the post uh, post. 80s, 90s, uh, those traveller groups also have typically tend to have larger um, disposable incomes and mm. propensity to spend. That is is what we're going to see. So, you know, bearing in mind that the average uh, Chinese traveller spending around about $8,900 per trip, yeah. uh, you know, there's no reason why that couldn't potentially go up slightly okay. um, over time. Um, now, you mentioned that there's 15% of uh, international tourists who come to Australia are Chinese. What types of needs do these Chinese travellers have in particular that travel providers uh, need to be prepared to provide for them? Yeah, it's uh, a good point. I think uh, Chinese travellers have the same needs and desires as, as any other market, I think. When any Australian tourism operator is dealing with the international market, whichever inbound market they're looking at, whether it be Germany, whether it be South America, different mm. South American countries or 
Indian travellers, etc., is you always need to um, look at how to best serve those those customers. But um, there are a few traits, I think, that are relevant to Chinese travellers. And we have a lot of Chinese that are travelling here that do have good language skills, English language skills. But yep. language support is still important, in particular for older generation and group travellers. And it's needed in different ways, you know, ranging from travel information um, to a menu to how to use a dishwasher in a, in a service department. Mm. Uh, and this can be supported in a really subtle way and you don't have to kind of pardon the the term but you don't have to, don't have to chinesify everything yeah um but you can use qr codes and very subtle means to mm. share that information the other thing is because chinese uh, travelers are very tech savvy and engage with that that uh, digital ecosystem uh, you, you need to they need to be able to connect to wi-fi so wi-fi mm. is a must yeah uh, and there's this mentality i'm a consumer i want I buy, I consume, I want it now. And yeah. If you think about the e-commerce landscape in, in, in big cities in China, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm ordering things online. Yeah. I'm going to, um, to the Home Fresh. I'm ordering and I'm getting my, my delivery within 30 minutes. Yeah, there's not so a lot of waiting. There's not a lot of waiting. So, so these things need to be taken into consideration. Yeah. Chinese payment methods are also something which I think is, is really of value. And mm. I think, you know, union pay, my uh, point of view is I think that you must, as a hygiene factor, as a must, you must have union pay. Okay. And I think businesses going forward need to cater for uh, the mobile payments. Okay. And it, there is there is evidence um, in, in a recent Nielsen report, uh, no doubt there's, there's more um, publications out there too, that uh, when there are Chinese payment methods, Chinese travellers will spend more. Mm. And it's all about, um, you know, they're getting low transaction costs, they're getting better exchange rates, and Chinese are value-conscious consumers. Mm. It's not to say that they won't spend, but, you know, things like on transaction costs, etc. if you can save money, of course you want to save money. So having those payments uh, methods there is important. Another thing is when, if you're a... Uh, a an accommodation provider or you're a retailer uh, and you're looking at having products which uh, can be purchased as gifts uh, by Chinese travellers coming uh, through your business, mm. understanding the symbolism of uh, gift giving, understanding that if you are going to have that something or package something which is unique, uniquely local, make sure that it's in a form that, that someone can actually give it as a gift. If there's a story behind the product, mm. if it's you know got a certain heritage or there's something about the brand, tell the story. Mm. Uh, that's really important. So okay. that, that then is part of an experience that they can give back to you know, their family and friends when they go back to, to, um, to China. Uh, so there's a lot of those sort of things in thinking about how you can gift. Um, and also there's a huge culture within China. Uh, when I travel, if I'm travelling, if a Chinese person is travelling within China to a different part of the country, what you'll see, and you'll have seen this many times, James, is that, you know, at, at airports and at, at um, train stations, everyone's buying the local specialty. Yeah, right. Dang di Yeah. <laughs> and it's part of the culture. You know, you go to Beijing, you buy the, the vacuum-packed um, Peking duck. Yeah. <laughs> or you, you're going out to Sichuan, you're going to Chengdu, you buy the dry chilies or the hot pot mix or whatever it may be. That's a, that's a tradition. Yeah. So how can you then, as a business, link into that, that culture of gift-giving and then, and then how do you package those, those products and how do you put them together, how does it look, etc. All of those things need to be taken into consideration yeah. and you can actually really make it a very important part of revenue generation. Yeah, well. right. Um, 
Nick, I think I've explained to you before, I have a friend who has a pub down on the, on the Victorian coast and um, I was there recently um, and a Chinese tour bus came in and he charged one of the tourists um, $2 for a glass of hot water. Yeah. And I said, like, what are you doing? How, how can you charge someone for water? And he said, well, look, I get this, you know, this bus comes every day, they, they use the bathroom here, I need to charge them for something. He's, he's not really that engaged with China, he just doesn't have a strategy. So his relationship with that market is quite a strained one. So thinking of Asia and China literacy in general, are Australian tourism providers meeting the challenges of, of catering to that China market? Uh, I think, I think uh, increasingly, yes. There is more to be done mm. as the numbers of Chinese visitors coming are growing and it's becoming a, a bigger and bigger part of the sector and the overall economy, I think businesses really need to look at how they can build those those skills uh, and those capabilities. It's really important. And that really, as a, as a, um, a government-funded not-for-profit mm. Asian business and also ATEC as a... Um, as a body representing the tourism sector and its members, mm. uh, we feel very strongly about um, building those capabilities so that it actually enables um, the sector to develop, which only has a good impact on uh, not only the, the, the Chinese market but also how tourism businesses approach dealing with other mm. Asian markets and international markets. Now, that's not to say that there aren't some a lot of organisations that are doing a fantastic job, there are a lot, mm. uh, but it's about really looking at the entire sector and and at, at looking at how, the, how those capabilities can be raised. So with the China Host Program, what have been some of those um, great stories where you feel like uh, tourism providers have really come a long way in, in, in being more Asia and China capable? It's uh, It's been really quite inspiring Right. Uh, being a part of this oh, great. this um, process with the fifteen businesses that we've worked with in the in the pilot program down in in the Great Ocean Road, because at the start of every session we're finding that that um, businesses are sharing the things that they have done and the things from the pro from the program the previous session they've actually started to enact into their businesses mm. uh, and the benefit that that has created that is really it's actually very encouraging mm. and. You know, we've had a number of businesses that have started you know, utilising QR codes uh, into different methods of communication. For example, we have the Apollo Bay Bakery down in Apollo Bay that is famous for its scallop pies. Mm. Um, utilising QR codes that can be scanned by travellers to tell the story of what their pie is all about, mm. why it's special, and uh, a menu in Chinese. So oh, right. that's okay. one example. Another example is Otway Lighthouse that decided to do something very special in preparation for Chinese New Year and tied red ribbons uh, symbolising Chinese New Year mm. along one of the fences near the, near the lighthouse and then started to really share those moments on social media and actually create a more of a Chinese New Year specific experience for travellers coming in. It's not kind of gaudy... You know, Chineseifying, but it was something which enabled a sharing of a moment that was specifically geared at Chinese travellers that were coming during Chinese New Year. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask how how significant are Chinese holidays um, regards to Australian tourism? So there's there's Chinese New Year, there's there's Golden Week, and there's and there's school National holidays. Day, yeah. <clears throat> is, is this when we see the 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 major flux of Chinese tourists? inbound towards Absolutely. Australia? Okay. Without a doubt. Because, um, you know, uh, these pe these holiday peak periods are 
traditionally when the government really is trying to encourage people to take time off. Mm. Um, so Chinese traditionally don't have a large number of annual leave days mm. uh, and uh, what the central government will do is will get people working, let's say, a, a six-day week or a seven-day week just in advance of some of these big holidays like National Day or Chinese New Year mm. so that those additional two days can be used in lieu and tacked on the end of what should be a longer, uh, longer right. holiday period. Okay. So it's And it's all about enabling people to obviously go back and spend time with their family during Chinese New Year, but it's also designed to drive consumption. Mm. So those holiday periods are really important. Mm. And they also do pose a challenge because you have not only for tourism uh, providers that over the Christmas New Year period, it's a peak period for the traditional Australian market. Um, And then you have another peak just at the tail end of that. You know, that really does mean that there are significant peaks and troughs Mm. during the year. And the challenge then always is going to be maintaining that demand. Uh, But we're seeing, you know, that will also start to shift a little bit. We'll still see peaks during those key holidays, but travellers are also... Uh, travelling more and more outside of those peak periods as well. Mm, Excellent. Okay, well, great, Nick. There's so many insights there as to how tourism providers can best prepare themselves for this growing influx of Chinese tourists. Um, What's ahead for the China Host program and and AsiaLink business? Well, for for China Host, we we really uh, have have the hope that uh, we'll, we'll be able to roll this out to more parts of the country. Um, and, you know, there are different ways we can do that. Obviously, face-to-face training has been the way we've done it so far. We have plans to be able to do that in either blending learning formats, which, which you know, is a combination of uh, webinar or face-to-face and online, yep. uh, and also just purely online as well. So we, we are hoping, we're working with ATEC very closely to speak to the different um, state governments, to the state tourism organisations, and, you know, sharing the great experience that we've had so far down in the Great Ocean Road, and hopefully we'll be seeing uh, the program roll out in, in more parts of the country. In terms of AsiaLink business, um, we cover uh, all of the uh, Asian nations. Uh, mm. So we're, we're busy doing a lot of training programs. Uh, we just kicked off last week our AsiaLink Leaders Program, which is in its uh, 23rd year. Uh, and we had uh, over 50 uh, of the leaders participants uh, from Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne, all uh, in, in Melbourne at uh, the Arts Centre last week for, for the Foundation Week. Mm. Uh, we're, we're working hard on, on some uh, thought leadership research and, and also um, sort of market entry type work as well with some, some businesses. And we have a very comprehensive uh, calendar of events focusing on all different countries. We've got over 50 events planned for this year. Uh, and we also... Um, Love collaborating with ACBC on yeah. some of those China-related <laughs> events as well. Uh, so we've got a busy year ahead, and um, and I think for organisations like ACBC for Asia Link Business, we're also really trying to work hard to build the skills, knowledge, and insight of businesses about the opportunities in China, in Asia, and uh, that is a that's a, a big job and a big task, and uh, and we're very committed to it, just as ACBC is, and uh, and we've got a big year ahead. Mm, fantastic. Okay, Nick Henderson, thanks for dropping by. Thank you, James. It's been a pleasure.
Thanks again to Nick for sharing his insights on Chinese tourism into Australia. If you'd like to learn more about AsiaLink Business's China Host Program, please visit this episode's show notes at acbc.com.au forward slash podcasts, where you can also subscribe and listen to previous episodes of the podcast. If you have a friend, colleague or client interested in tourism or any other facet of Australia's relationship with China, please pass the podcast on to them and I'm sure we'll have an episode relative to their engagement with China. Thanks again to the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade's Australia China Council for their support of the podcast. That's all for this week's episodes. Until next time, Zai Jian.